0: Welcome back to the Art of Murder podcast, episode 8. Jenna, could you please get the script right before I read them, at least you corrected it this time. Sorry folks, your high overlord mistress Jenna didn't get the episode right the last time we talked. But fear not minions, the wonderful, great and powerful the majestic Julie Korn, Queen of the Earthings, is still fabulous and awesome. Enjoy part 2 of episode 8 the art of storytelling. Be-do-be-do-be-be-do-be-do-be-do-be-do-be-do-be-do-be-do-bum-bum-bum-bum, an intro. Sometimes I feel like quitting. I still might. Why do I put this fight? Why do I still write? Sometimes it's hard enough to just deal with real life. Sometimes I want to jump on stage and just kill the max. Because I feel like I, I've got a Detroit hat on. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? I just rapped a little bit of 8 Mile. You know. I yeah I do but why? Because I have an eight, I have a Detroit. Was that part of your style? Your st- Not at all. Oh, Not okay. at all. Because I I put the headphones on and I immediately felt like I'm a like yo yo what's up? I'm from Detroit. I don't know because okay. this is Tyler's Detroit hat. Is that Detroit? Yeah, it's a Detroit. You got this from Detroit,
1: right? Yes. You're right. I'm no hot chick and that's right I got no tits but I got style and I got skill and I got more bitch than you ever will you're standing there you're all fucked up looking at me like you want to hook up but from me you ain't getting any you have better luck going home crawling in bed and sleeping with your mommy what impressed that I could actually speak my mind busting it out and making it rhyme you're hearing a diss with every line I'm just talking to you cause I feel bad that you're behind and you're dreaming that you'll make it big one day punk you have better Better luck joining a monastery and becoming a monk. I should just toss you in a trunk. I'll take you for a ride. And don't worry, it won't be homicide. Because I will make it big. And I never let something like you ruin that for me, you fucking pig. Whoa! 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 <laughs> <laughs> and now, my pussy, you can lick. Because you were only good with one thing. And it didn't involve your dick. <laughs>
0: for you, eight there. Up, M&M? Nice, good. Can I can't actually drop the mic or I'll bust it. But mic drop. <laughs> How was that? Did some sound fully? Anyway. What the hell just happened there? Back to poetry. Oh my god, that was beautiful. Thank you. Welcome back from the Thank break. Um, Julie just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> May I have your permission to keep that in? Because that was amazing. Uh, yeah, okay. Holy shit. I don't know how it sounded though. Amazing. Okay. On my end. We should I should do a rap for our podcast. Oh my god, that'd be so f- You should okay. here's what you, you do. What this you write a is- rap to our song. You should write a rap to our like Oh, I still want to do our Christmas song, by the way. Yeah, we yeah, we should.
1: Um holy crap. Okay, we could do a rap. Yeah. Actually, next week I'm that's all I'm gonna do, is I'm just gonna perform a rap. <laughs> oh
0: it would be beautiful i'd like to
1: say i could perform a murder completely in a rap but that would be a little
0: (laughs) bit long (laughs) you rap at your victim while you're not at my victim about no no see yeah okay oh shit i just got rid of my fucking arms all right okay hello folks this is jenna with now going into two glasses of wine um (laughs) it's a long night (laughs) it's very aromatic Jenna, tell me a secret. It uh, has a little bit of dark chocolate flavor to it. Ooh. A hint of cherry. There, it, the, I can definitely taste the tannins in there. It's not giving me a headache. I don't get headaches from red, red wine, thankfully, because it's delicious. But wine is part of the theme of my story today. Oh. Mm-hmm. Are you going to whine a lot? yes i'm gonna whine because i didn't get my story completely done today that's right jenna didn't finish her story
1: Mm -hmm. i just read to you the newspaper but jenna didn't finish her story (laughs) i def i i have you finished it in your own mind you just haven't written it
0: and I fi- feel more confident putting it down in paper than keeping it in my sluggish noggin of mine while I'm drinking. If I was not drinking, it'd be fine. But because it's... this, is just this story. It's not going to have an end. I like it. It might not. It keeps it's open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to update next week with a very lengthy amount of updates with my <laughs> corrections. Trend facts. Who fucking knows? No. Hashtag RFax. That's what oh, it is. Oh,
1: that's good. Yeah. I
0: really like that. <laughs> <laughs> T-A-O-M. RFax. Arfax. It sounds like we are a tax company. Like that's <laughs> that's our tax brand company. It's not Equifax, but it's Arfax. Arfax, your accounting software company, providing you with secure and safe tax stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so wine <clears throat> Yes, so I'm drinking wine today It's red Okay Jenna, entertain me So uh, uh, let's get the train back on track Not at all okay. No, I just want to drink wine And actually see if I can get through this While being a little bit intoxicated <laughs> So let me just say this I haven't eaten since breakfast I apologize if my wording is slurred If I say the wrong thing uh, I'm drinking some wine right now uh, I've had a couple glasses of it Two in a very large glass uh, that was thankfully provided by Amy Wynn, uh from Wild Canary. You're the best. I love you. I think you're great. And also, you should check out her Instagram and her Etsy page. She does these beautiful watercolors. Buy her work. Buy, buy Canadian artists. Please just buy Canadian because now more than ever, we are amazing and and produce some fucking rad shit. Pretty soon, Jenna's going to start telling us secrets. I am. um, But... Speaking of wine, this story was actually inspired by Tyler. So, thank you. He had told me uh, when I had first started writing this... Well, not writing, or business planning this podcast. He's like, oh, you should do this story because it's by so-and-so. And And he's like the, you know, the, the master of death, isn't he? And I'm like, okay, sure, I guess so. So, then I... I took this book out from the library which I still haven't returned and it's been three weeks so I apologize. Thank you Toronto Public Library for not hunting me down and stealing and like trying to kill me to get this book back. You don't know. I don't. Well, who knows. You're right. They can't find me in my hovel of an apartment.
1: You're in the pod loft.
0: I am. It's the pod loft. And uh, over the past couple weeks I've been reading a lot of this person's um, short stories and poems. And I thought, you know what, it's about time we talk about um Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. So it's funny that you're doing stories on stories, mini oh. stories. And there is a, yeah, it, it it's it's a lot of the stuff that you were talking about short your short stories and and then being true stuff. A lot of the stuff that he writes about comes from his own life, and the people he's met or his experiences. And he's he had a pretty fucked up childhood. Um, shh, phone quiet. You tell me about it. Action. Hmm. The father of horror, the conductor of melancholy, Edgar Allan Poe is widely considered the inventor of the detective fiction genre. He is truly the master of the macabre. That was a French word. Oh. To be creepy and deathly and all that stuff? Would you What what does what it translate in French? Macabre. No, I'm just saying it's a French word. You're just oh. saying it with an English accent. Macabre? Oui. Oh. Très bon.
1: I hope so, unless I just <laughs> made that up. Maybe I'm drunk too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stephen King wrote many great crime writers of the 20th century, from Jim Thompson and John D. MacDonald to Thompson Harris, who in Hannibal Lecter may have created the greatest sociopath of them all, are the children of Poe. You got questions? Nope. That was beautiful. Thank you. I Actually, like that. It's, I took this right. So uh, a lot no, of people. just my- take credit for it. Uh, Just take the whole credit for it. I don't want to take credit for Mr. Stephen King because I am a huge admirer oh, of him. Okay. But this, Uh-oh. Oh, Bowie. Um, the book that I took this from is called In the Shadow of the Master, Classic Tales by Edgar Allan Poe. And it was written and edited by, well, it's not written, but it was edited by uh, Michael Conley. And it has a whole bunch of very famous uh, horror and sci-fi writers that provide insight into why they found Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe a huge inspiration. Um, and Stephen King actually writes a a whole little bit about his Edgar Allan Poe's writing style. <clears throat> um which he says that is a big influence in his life. So, Edgar Allan Poe was born in Boston on January 19th, 1809, to Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe and David Poe Jr. They were both <laughs> actors. He had an older brother and a younger sister. When he was only a year old, his father left his family, and only a year later, his mother died from pulmonary tuberculosis. He was sent to John Allen's home in Richmond, Virginia, and became a permanent member of became a permanent family member, but he actually was never formally adopted. They just kind of, they they took him in and they called him son and he called them like mom and dad, but he was never formally adopted. No paperwork? Nothing. No. Uh, But John did give him the name Edgar Allan Poe. So that's how he got his name. Oh. Because he was at the time just Edgar Poe. So he just added the Allen. He just added the Allen. He was spoiled, but also disciplined heavily in 1815, he attended grammar school in Irving, Scotland, then rejoined the family a year later in London. He went to boarding school and the Reverend John Bransby uh, Manor House School. Nothing significant to his writing uh, career, but apparently that's where he learned a lot of his discipline and found his like love for writing. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Oh, sorry, he's in trouble. The Allens moved back to Richmond, Virginia, in 1820. For a short time, he served in the army as a as a youth lieutenant. So he was pretty young at this point. He was definitely under the age of 18, and he was just kind of he, you know cadets. You know, yeah. you know how we have cadets, but,
1: but when they're in 1815, that was okay, or around Mm-mm. then? No, it was so still was not he? okay. Oh, well, mm-hmm. that's good
0: to know, at least. Yeah, but he, like, so he was sort of, like, the lieutenant of his cadets. Okay. Yeah, his, yeah. Uh, then Poe attended the University of Virginia in 1826 to study ancient, modern languages. And around this time, um, he actually was sweet on this girl. Her name wa- her name was Sarah Elmir- Elmira Royster. She seemed like a really lovely lady. <laughs> Um, From her Facebook page, yeah, yeah, we correct her. I got, I poked her a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so did he? <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. Uh, it, it's uh, here's an interesting fact: Thomas Jefferson was actually the one who founded uh, the university in 1819. So. This is a fairly new university, and it was very young in its time, and it was uh, very progressive. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted to make sure that the students learned in a different way than other universities. It was very strict, very controlled. He did not want the influence of church in this university. So no religion. Right. Uh, The rules were very laxed. So it was sort of like, yeah, we don't want you to gamble. We don't want you to drink, but what we don't see won't hurt us. And the students were encouraged to take courses that were not usually offered at other universities and colleges. This is like a
1: new age university, like yeah. Equinox.
0: Yeah. In a way. Yes, okay. very much. Yeah, so I that's guess that's a so. local school that does, um, what do you call uh, Holistic. Holistic no. studies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys weren't outdoor 24-7 and then only went inside to pee and poop, but. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that needs to be so <laughs> detailed. Um, but because of the lax rules Poe ranked up a bunch of gambling debt and his his foster father wasn't too happy because all of the money that he was spending was actually an inheritance that his foster dad received from his uncle uh, william oh he I died you we're going to say about his dad no no his, his other dad just fucked off in in 1810 and right. just but yeah. his mom died his of mom pulmonary died pulmonary embolisms tuberculosis shit
1: there's pulmonary something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, consumption, basically. Yeah, I think I think consumption is what tuberculosis was. Yes, not- Jenna, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that was right. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so the money, actually, that uh, John Allen had received from his uncle William after his death was... Uh, Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is equal to sixteen million dollars today. What? Yes. I, I mean, I already knew that was so much, especially back then. Holy shit! I mean, it's a lot of fucking money, but unfortunately, because of these debts and the animosity between uh, John Allen and Edgar Allan Poe, he unfortunately Poe had to drop out of university because he just wasn't doing very. He wasn't doing very good, mm. and, and this the, his drinking. This is where sort of his drinking. Started? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Are you kidding me? You're one years old. You lose... Your dad fucks off. Your mom dies a year later. You're then put in with a foster family. Your brother and sister are off somewhere else. You're going to have some serious oh, trauma. yeah, they're not... Mm-mm, they're not all together. when he put into the foster home? Essentially, he was about a year and a half to two years so old. So he didn't even know his siblings, really? Mm, not really. Nope. Because his sister was younger than him, too. So yeah, she was reconnect. just uh him and his brother did but i i there there is nowhere in It's happening again. The shaking? Yeah. Anyways. Okay so like i said he dropped out of school he found himself completely broke and penniless because his foster dad was like i'm not supporting this shit anymore i'm so sorry like don't you dare waste my family inheritance on your yeah. own bullshit if you're not gonna and and, and you know what fair enough Ed Grandpa poe was kind of a dick like that's not cool you he was very he always wanted to to Like, education was very important to him from my readings, but for him to not, I guess, I don't know how, I don't know how to say it. (sighs) To not put in his 110%. Thank you. When he really, when he had, was always talking about it, um, when it seemed from. He's a talker, not a doer. Yeah. 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 He's a grower, not a shower. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. May he rest in peace. So. Sizz. No. <laughs> no, not in pieces. No. Just a full body. Okay. And I'll tell you about that. Oh. I always say that. I always notice that. I go, then awesome. I'll tell you about it. <laughs>
1: sometimes sometimes when it's like I ask a question, you'll know, be like, uh-uh. Like, not yet. I'll, I'll, I'll tell, tell you about, about it. it. <laughs> like, it's coming. It's just not now.
0: Like, no. You need some buildup. Um I need to know everything now. <laughs> in due time, child, in due time.
1: oh due time. In due time.
0: So so gambling debts, he's fucked. He drops out of school. He's fucked. Then guess what? He finds out that his sweetheart, Miss Royster by another man. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Shelton. And they decide they got married and he was super fucking pissed about it. <sighs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I get it. I get it. You know, he was sweet on her i don't think he pro- like he uh, said anything said anything like proclaimed any competence. Conf- so if you want something so. go get it yeah so she was like i'm so sorry i guess i'm just gonna go find someone else who's more forward but they split later on either he died or they split i don't remember so he shipped himself off to boston Whoa, there's a song Boston. called Shipping Off to Boston, Shipping Off to Boston. Well, I think it's Baston. Baston. Yeah, they went to Baston. From England? Uh, no, Ireland? No, from Virginia. Oh, so here- they They were born in Ireland, though, right? Mm mm. Nope. What the fuck? Okay, so have Ed- I have listening to a different story. Edgar Allan Poe was actually born in the United States. It's funny people think that he He's is British. British, but he went and studied in our in Scotland, oh. and his family had <clears throat> had like st- the Allen family moved to to London. He then went to Irving, Scotland, to study, moved back to London, and then the family then went just back to Richmond, Virginia, where they where he was. Where he originally had been given over to the Allen okay. family as a baby.
1: Okay, a baby, Allen Vanyan, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Allen family took off to England. Yes. He went to school in Irving, mm-hmm. Irving, Scotland. Irving. Scotland. No, Ireland or Scotland? Scotland. Scotland. And okay. Got yeah, it. And then they then back to London and but, then back okay. to. Okay. Virginia. That makes sense. So he was born in the States, but he grew up in the UK more or less. Yes. He had a, he did yeah. for quite a while. He had I a would, tickle of an accent. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. You, you remember how he's telling you about uh, the 1930s accent that a the lot of... One? The fake one that yeah. a lot of uh, big Hollywood golden age movies did? She walked into my office and uh, right. wore a red dress and
1: had heels up to
0: there. Looked at me and said, hey... <laughs> You sexy a, thing, you sexy thing, you! I believe in miracles. Yes, that voice is actually an accent created by Hollywood, and I would have, I would say that I think in our minds when we think Edgar Allan Poe, there's sort of this like, like little bit of Cause he
1: wash, he's a washed out British accent. I would speaker. say there's like a
0: blend of it with, yeah. with yeah, there's a blend of American and probably. Uh, uk accent somewhere because whenever i i hear or when i'm reading his stories i have this accent that i want to have in in my head because you know sir arthur cohen doyle who created sherlock holmes he was british and Mm -hmm. every time we think of mystery and crime and horror we always think of the british who are very good at making things sound eerie And sexy at the same time, very sexy. Um, so he's in Boston right now, and uh, and he was taking a bunch of publishing jobs, working for a couple newspapers, and like he could not, he couldn't sustain a job. I think for him, he had such a, he was so strong-minded about what he wanted in life in terms of writing, just writing. He he, good for him. He always saw language and writing as his focus and his like tunnel vision, and I think. Like a lot of people who have such a passion for one set thing, no matter where what job you go to, if it's not that type of job or you're not in that career, you you fall by the wayside. You don't do and work as hard as you would, I don't know, like maybe he set his own goals or saw the way that it should have been in these journalism and, and newspaper jobs. He wanted it a certain way and, and didn't conform. Right. I don't know. Because yeah. in my reading, when he works for different publishing companies, he has more control. And when he has more control, he flourishes. Yeah. But here, he has zero control. He's working under someone. And he just, it was almost... It's like, stunting your creativity. Yes. Yeah. And I find, I feel like with him, he, you, you knew he was a genius right from the get-go. You knew that he was going to be a great, but other... Th- Geico? Car insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This episode is sponsored by Geico. It's not. No, it's not. They're not giving us nothing. But I, but. No, I, yeah. You know, you, you know, I don't know, like the greats, the great creators of our world, you see a direct line of, yes which is fantastic it's a focus it's, yes it's envisioning what
1: you want which i think is great is wonderful and you uh-huh. should live your life like that but at the same time don't you fucking hate those people i do you're like i'm sorry do i want to work at this specific i don't want to say a specific job because okay now i was a server for a long time do i want to fucking serve any more goddamn mm-hmm. fucking chicken wings no no i don't but i don't have the pleasure of just saying fuck this and let me focus on what i do until yes. i make it because i Nobody's paying my rent. Nope. Nobody's paying my meals. No. Nope. Nobody's paying my heat and hydro. No. Nope. Nope. No. So I have to do this. And to then survive. Then it, yeah, to survival. survive. And then it takes up all your fucking time. Yes. And then whatever. And then these jackasses. Okay, I'm not calling Ed, or Alan Poe a or jackass. Or any
0: genius who somehow... I'm some just venting, okay? Just yeah. let me vent for a second, you vent. okay? You People. vent.
1: People. You know. And then they're like, no, I'm not going to fucking do this. I'm not, you know? And... You know, and then beeline it. Now, mind you, those people who do that and then make it, then okay, whatever. But it's a fine line between, are you lazy or are you focused? You know, because some people are like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that because like, ew. But well, who the fuck's paying your bills? You know, and those people who have that option, then it's because somebody is paying their bills. Like, Fan-fucking-tastic, mommy, lucky daddy you. or
0: something, whatever. Oh, that bothers me. Um And he, this, I feel like... I I personally feel from reading that Edgar Allan Poe, maybe with John Allen's spoiledness towards him, kind of rode that those coattails a little bit too right. long. So maybe in this publishing and newspaper job he had, he w- wasn't, you know, uh, aware of he had no, he really had no safety net to fall back on. And yeah. unfortunately... Shit didn't work out for him. So he decided to actually enroll in the army. But uh, here's the problem. It's 1827 and he's just about 18 at this point. So he has to use a pen name. He used Edgar A. Perry. Uh, served in the army for a bit. And during this time, he actually released his very first book called The Tamerlane and Other Poems. Tamerlane and Other Poems. However, uh, only fifty copies were published, Ooh. and it was basically an invisible book. Nobody, nobody read it. Like a few of them are in the Edgar Allan Poe Museum that is in Richmond, in Virginia. We should go to Richmond, Virginia. Let's oh, go. Cool. I want to go to the Poe Museum. That'd be cool. But it was like a total bomb. Such a bomb. Poe tried to get discharged. Because he wasn't having, like, he was doing really well, but he wanted to really try and get the writing thing off the ground. Yeah. But because he finally finally revealed to his sergeant that he was 18 to try to act, he thought, oh, you know what? If I tell them that I'm 18, they'll absolutely discharge me. They wouldn't. They said the only way that they would be able to discharge him is if he got his father, his foster father, to write a letter saying, yeah, sure, he's got permission to be discharged. So the sergeant said, here's the deal. If you get your estranged father to write us a letter saying that he approves your discharge, we'll do it. But they hadn't talked for years after the whole university thing happened. The shitty thing, too, is that John Allen didn't even write back to Poe, didn't even write back to him saying that his his foster mother was ill and dying. Mm. So, just no contact whatsoever. And unfortunately, in February of 1929, she died. But after the death of his foster mom, I think his foster father was like, maybe I do need to reach out. Maybe this is a time to rekindle. And so he gave his permission to the the army 2 months after the death oh, of his wife no. to let poe be discharged yeah but his his foster father remarried and this new wife wasn't really too happy with edgar allan poe because he was not a illegitimate child and not an actual child he was just there was no connection to yeah. him whatsoever he didn't even formally adopt him as his own child it was just this random kid essentially being part of the family and she's like this is uncouth this is not what the standard of my living is like um so they disowned him they disowned Ed Graham poe and he was oh, broken, homeless no. so he turned to his aunt maria clem poor poor bear i know and, uh, you know with the drinking and the gambling and the being crappy at his job, maybe this was the kick in the pants that he needed to sort of smarten up. And I think it was because he moved in with his aunt, Maria Clem. Um, so, at, by blood or? By blood. Okay. Yes. So, his aunt had actually taken in his older brother. So, his older brother oh. had been living with this aunt at the time of his mother's death. Okay. Um, I don't know if he knew that. But somehow, some way, Edgar Allan Poe and and Aunt Maria rekindled or came to back together. Okay, and and when she took him in, I guess historians say that she was like a second mother. She was the mother that he needed oh. to help support him and take care of him and really drive him to do the writing thing. So he published his second book called Al Araf. Cameron and minor poems. I know. Okay. I'm I'm terrible at words. <laughs> By nineteen thirty-one, he was living in New York and just about to release his third volume of poems called Poems. That's it. He just called it Poems. Poems? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. that, that would have been good. That would have been really Poems. Things were looking up for him. I'm gonna write you an M's. <laughs> oh, are you? Yeah. What are M's? Just a bunch of M's. Jewel M's. Instead of Po M's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Oh my god. What's happening right now? I don't know. What's happening? Okay.
0: okay. So. crying. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Uh,
1: Don't cry for for me, Argentina. Argentina. You never know how much I
0: loved you. That's beautiful. Through the good times and the bad times. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just know Madonna played um, Yes, that lady in the movie with Antonio Mandarazzo. <laughs> Picasso? Oh, yeah. I still haven't watched that series. Okay. So, 1931 in New York. He's about to release his third volume of poems called Poems. But his brother unfortunately died because he was an alcoholic. No. Oh, he's an alcoholic. Too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean come on the whole family's fucked up. Dad leaves, mom dies. They're you have choices, Jenna. I know that. I agree with you. you have I choices. fucking agree. Get therapy. We work on it in therapy and it helps. That's so right. go seek seek help. Talk to people. It's okay. We will listen but poe pushed on after the death of his brother and decided to dedicate himself full-time to his writing and this this him just doing writing full-time was completely out of the ordinary around this time no one did it no writers did it because it was um not sustainable poe fought hard for the right rights to proper wages for writers too he was a big advocate for equal pay because a lot of the time writers only got like a dollar for a huge story that even if it was successful, they only still saw a dollar to their name. Um, He barely met, he barely made ends meet. And often his payment would be his own finished fucking published books. So Mm. they'd be like, thank you so much. This did really well. Here's five copies of your own book that you just (laughs) finished writing and, and drooled over and died over and, had sleepless nights over because you know as an as a starving artist we love getting our own work back as payment (laughs) uh no
1: imagine that's what you do you you make a painting for somebody yeah (laughs) give it back to you as your payment or a photocopy
0: of it i would punch them in the dick (laughs) (laughs) or vagina who knows who it is i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna assume okay um it, but the reason why it was such a weird thing to do, because around this time there was a big recession coming and uh, like the U.S. really got the shit end of it. I mean, everyone did uh, this uh, UK was being very stingy in their spending and the government, the, the government, the government, the government I was like, <laughs> their government. See how
1: I brought this closer? Cause I'm like, I'm not letting that one Yeah. Down. Thank the you. Government. Thank you for
0: keeping me in check and calling me out. So it, no, it was there was beautiful. a lot of influence in the UK okay. and their yep. trade stuff. Um, and the US got hit hard, like 25. So... My In my reading, it was saying that areas saw a 25% unemployment rate. 25%. Right now here in Canada, I think we sit at 7.5% unemployment. It's up and down right now. Yeah. Because thank you, bullshit housing. Thank you, bullshit jobs. Thank you. Yep. Robots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say bullshit robots because that's kind of what Tyler does. He builds robots to make sure poop is clean. Was it stupidity, bravery, or just such a dedication to his passion that Poe continued knowing full and well he would have to claw his way through life to survive on just his writing alone? That's all he did. He decided, this is it. This is all I want to do. It's the starving artist thing. I get it. I appreciate it. It is. It really is. I wish I could do that. I know. I know. I Like this. Remember how we said last week and then the week before? Why can't we just fucking do this full time? People start paying us more. <laughs> or, or anything. So. <clears throat> so this recession happened in 19 or er, in 1837. And it actually hit really hard for the for America. Um, it was like factories shut down, uh, small mom and pop shops were yeah. shutting down, pharmaceutical places were shutting down, and that was a hard, this was a time where tuberculosis was such a huge thing, so doctors were being stretched so thin because mm-hmm. of this recession that they weren't getting treated properly. So it, it's about 1836, so we're kind of just on the cusp of this recession, going into this recession. I will say that I see that with the 2008 recession that we had, there is a lead up. So you're seeing this lead up of him dedicating himself to just strictly writing and going, I'm going to do this. Even though you kind of see the prelude to the recession happening, you see jobs, the job market failing. And he's still like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And all through this recession, he was like, fucking hell. Yeah. It was seven years. So, um, I think it was like 19, 1845 when it sort, sort of picked up again. But he would not see money come in until about that time. So, 1836, he marries his 13 year old cousin Virginia Clem, oh, who gross. was Aunt Maria's daughter. Daughter. 1836. 1836.
1: And so that would make
0: him 27. It was about 20, 26. 26. And he married his 13 year old cousin. But but it was a good match. Like uh, no, they, Jenna. They, I know no that. Jenna. I know in this day and age. In this day and age. Don't marry your cousin or a 13 year old and a 13 year old. But she, they, the two of them were infatuated with each other. They were very much in love research from my research, not from my own personal knowledge. Cause clearly I was not born in 18 <laughs> in the 1830s. Um, but the only problem was, is the finances of this match caused a lot of strain on the relationship. So he took work in New York and then in Philadelphia, writing for a variety of magazines. One of his published stories won an award. And because of this award, it actually gained him popularity and he was becoming a household name. So uh, he went on to become the editor of Broadway, of the Broadway journal and then the sole owner of it in 1942. How that happened. I'm not sure, but this is a key part of his life and, and, it was uh, there was a a bit of a problem when he took over ownership of this publication because he alienated all the other journalists that were hired from him and he yeah. he wanted full fucking control. He wanted to do the whole thing. He wanted the whole thing to be him and him only. Well, bon. didn't work out that way. Tu peux pas faire ça? Oui. Whatever you said. Exactly. It sounded you, you can't do that. Let me say. We say it again. Tu peux pas faire ça? tu je c'est froid anyway okay every, every one of your family members is making fun of me right now and all the French people <laughs> in Canada who are uh, listening uh, how do I uh, how do I say I'm sorry in French je m'excuse je m'excuse uh, yeah j'excuse je j'excuse j'excuse um <laughs> i don't know if i like myself being wino jenna or not wino jenna we will figure that out so it was around this time uh virginia his wife started showing signs of consumption which is tuberculosis tuberculosis just basically was like the cancer of today fuck cancer fuck tuberculosis everyone died of it honestly fuck it it's stupid and he became really depressed over it because he's seeing his wife who is so much younger than him yeah, yeah. deteriorate at such a fast pace yeah. he can't do anything about it he can't send money enough to get uh doctors to their house they live in this really cute little white cottage there's a there's a picture of it and it, and they actually like transported it to make it a historic monument in virginia I don't know if it's in Virginia or not. Because he was
1: born in Virginia. Or Baltimore. And his wife's name was Virginia. That would make sense. I'm just saying. I just wanted to
0: clarify. That there's it? two Virginias in this story. All I know is his Aunt Maria actually lived with them too. So, okay. Aunt Clem. <laughs> That's as much information as I can tell you about the house. Yeah. Uh, it was moved. It became a historic site. It was Virginia and and her mom who lived there. And, and uh, before his death... Edgar's brother also lived there. It was just, you know, a shindig. Everyone was just partying until consumption. But he became a heavy drinker because of his Ill- this illness. And Did it, he consume he, a lot of a, alcohol? A lot. So he was a, having a cons- big consumption of alcohol? He, he had a high... Cons- there was <laughs> high a high consumption. Thank <laughs> like you, thank you. Bring, like, how, <laughs> wait, how do I bring this in here? <laughs> bring it all back around. Okay. Um, now... Mm-hmm. Do you have you ever read any Edgar Allan Poe stuff? I just say stuff in general. Only with my ears mm-hmm. off of Gilmore Girls. Okay, so what's that Poe thing? Night. All right, what's what's the what's the thing that you heard from Gilmore Girls about Edgar Allan Poe? Um, what story? The Raven. <gasps> ah, yes, Play Ball. Bon. Uh. Mm. So the uh, Raven yeah. is the most widely known story that we know Edgar Allan Poe wrote. You I don't fucking care if you don't even know who Edgar Allan Poe is. When I say yeah. Edgar Allan Poe, you're like the raven. Yeah.
1: And I picture it. Every time I say it, I picture him in a hat, black trench coat and a raven on his shoulder. Oh, you picture a raven on his shoulder? Well,
0: yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I like the imagery. And candles.
1: Ooh, lots of lots black. of candelabras. Candelabra holders mm-hmm. that are holding like white wax candles. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. With lots of books. Lots of books. And writing utensils. Quills. Quills. Quills.
1: Quill oh. 18?
0: Yeah. I say here, this is what, in my notes, this is what I wrote. I if, say here, I say. I say, uh, Mabel, I says to Mabel, I says, if you've ever read any of El- Edgar Allan Poe's poems or stories, there is one thing that we all universally know about this writer, regardless if you've read him, if you know about him, anything, if you've studied him, we all know that this guy wrote The Raven. And The Raven was was published on January 29th, 1845. So I th- remember that day. This is actually, as the recession was getting better. So, is it the fact the recession was doing, like, it was kind of, we're coming out of it? And that's why the Raven did so well? But it appeared in Evening Mirror, and he became an instant success. Overnight, everybody knew who this guy was. But you want to know something? What? He only received $9 for writing the story. 9 fucking dollars. That's not even, like... 45 bucks in today's mo- like inflation days today probably maybe like maybe 50 in today's money really? but yeah only nine dollars he made nine dollars off of the most successful I think be more money though than that yep. in today's money you'd think it's not you'd think i mean there's a there's an entire museum dedicated to this guy he was very underrated i'm so sorry i felt really sad reading all about his life like he is just he's lost so many important people in his life he's been treated like garbage he treated other people like garbage it just seemed like he wandered his life as like an actually normal person experiencing death constantly loss constantly rejection and other things constantly and to me, that's a normal person. Yeah. I feel like that's a person who's experienced life the way that it's supposed to be experienced. And he wrote about it. There's a lot of themes in his his stories that do represent the stuff that he went through as a child. And going to university and the loss of his love, like his lovers, like the people that he wanted to court. 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 Mm-hmm. So, uh 1845. The Raven was released, and then not not even a year later, his wife died at, of consumption. Mm. So, she was sick during this entire time. So, uh, she was sick around 1942, and then in 1949, 1945, she passed away from tuberculosis. Brokenhearted and still penniless, he continued to write. He tried courting the poet Sarah Helen Whitman, and she's written about him in several um interviews and talking about how he was very eccentric and weird but also a brilliant mind one that she had never experienced before yeah. a true a true i don't know like hero of his time in this career yeah that's the best way to put it however she was like uh uh-uh, uh i ain't having any of this i'm not having any of this drunken bullshit but just before his death, he had rekindled the romance between his childhood sweetheart, Miss Sarah Elmira oh, Royster. Oh, the one who was fucking somebody else. Yes, yeah. so that's why I said he may or may not have died, or they might have split because they actually rekindled their their love. And it was, huh. they had actually, um, he proposed to her just before his death. So they were sort of fiancé, fiancés. Yeah, okay. Here, here, here together, oh. you know. But post death. He would show her his pipe? Yeah, he showed it to her a lot. Okay. A lot. Oh, his speaking crow. of pipe, it's in the, okay. So Poe's death plays out like one of his tragic fiction stories just without an ending it's fucking weird he it's a weird weird tale we find ourselves in the thick of a municipal election which we just had about a month ago which would have been a good probably story (laughs) holy shit wine stop making me fuzzy why is this so important to our story The shyster motives from politicians could explain the behavior from our protagonist, Poe, who had disappeared five days earlier and reappeared in a bar room at a public house. That was a polling place for these elections. So, do you know what a cooing is? A coo? C-O-O-P-I-N-G said cooing. It sounds like cooing. Not, not like, the word is cooing. Not, It doesn't sound like cuckoo. <laughs> I know. That's what I was thinking, like, what a bird makes? So what no. a cooing is, is basically, it's a group of people who go around drugging other people, taking to them polling stations oh, and forcing them to vote and then doing cool. it again in other places. Not no, cool, but, I mean, cooing there's, like, it. there's a word for it. Yeah, because it was cooing. such a huge thing back then. So there's this theory that the reason why Edgar Allan Poe had been missing for five days was because he had been drugged, moved around, cooing this, Being being cooed for this municipal election. Right. It was a friend of his who had found him in this bar house and take He took him to the local uh, hospital to get checked out. And that's where he stayed until his death. But Mm -hmm. physicians had no fucking clue what had happened to him. There were theories. They did drug tests. The only thing that they could find was that there was a tiny bit bit of alcohol in his blood. And I think that's just because it's him. He was a drunkard by this time. Very eccentric. And people associated weirdness. Like... Like, uh, like us doing this podcast is normal now. But back then, if we were to have like, let's say a theater production of us talking about the macabre, we would be weird, we would be eccentric. First off, we're two women talking to each other in the same room, which was not okay. Women don't talk to each other back then. We don't associate because once we do that, we get ideas in our head. That's true. We start fighting back against the patriarchy, so we would be considered weird. Um, so for him being a writer of the, you know, the m- melancholy and the drab and the drear and the grim and the grave, he was looked at as weird, and I think he was taken advantage of because of that. He was a household name at this point, so people immediately recognized who this person was. Mm. And if the theories prove true that he was cooed into voting, then of course he's good. they're going to go, well, guess who I got to vote for so-and-so? Edgar Allan Poe voted for you know, the mayor. Of, you know, <laughs> I don't know exactly the <sighs> political side of this election. I don't know the history of this election. But um, there are several different theories. One could be that he had he had rabies because a few days later his aunt found his cat. The day that she found out that Poe was dead, her his cat died. He had a cat. I don't know, but the cat just immediately died. And the si- some mm-hmm. of the signs that he had during the five days before his death showed sign of showed signs of rabies. There's other theories that he was already dead at this point when he finally reappeared. And he actually didn't show up in a bar, in a bar lounge or whatever. And his friend actually didn't find him. And there was no cooing. He just was dead in a ditch. And his friend played it up to try to get money because he was a famous guy now. Yeah. You know, the Raven came out. He was publishing other stories. And, you know, his friend just wanted to take advantage of him. So... That's essentially the the life and time of Edgar Allan Poe, but do you know a few of the stories that he wrote at all? No. Okay. So, I talk about wine for a reason. Let's let's all bring it all back. Okay. okay? I talk about wine for a reason and I'm drinking wine for a reason because not only did I not finish my story and we're going to see how the rest of this plays out, uh- but <laughs> the whole reason I decided to do my story on Edgar Allan Poe was because of a very specific story called The Cask of a Montiallo. Montiallo. Ask me to pronounce it again. It's not happening. Good. So the story is of a gentleman who talks to his audience about this wrongdoing from this Fortunato and how he sort of, uh drags his family name through the dirt and he's angry and vengeful and he goes to this carnival that his friend fortunado is at and offers him a treat or not not offers him but sort of casually goes oh you wouldn't i mean by chance guess what i just came into came into possession of a cask of amontillado. So amontillado is a month. Fuck. I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm half in the bag. Who knows? (laughs) It's funny. I love this, but it's, it's a sherry. So amontillado Tyler, where are you when I need you to fucking pronounce this properly (laughs) is a Tyler did nothing wrong. Tyler. Um, uh it's a type of sherry wine yeah how do you pronounce it the cask of amanteado come and say it into the microphone for me please amanteado no tell what's the full name the cask (laughs) from what i remember in english class in high school i think it's pronounced the cask of amanteado the cask of amanteado amanteado Man, okay i'm gonna go ahead and say that nobody knows how to say nope. it here okay so it's a sherry wine thank you honey love bye, you bye. okay ambient toast i can't even saga- saga- I can't remember the way i used to and say. what's that other word that he tried Yakuza. to no it was a different one about uh oh, an- antidote no, it was another antidote. <laughs> He's basically our person who listened to Anecdote. the podcast No, Are it's you talking about malpropos- Malappropriism! Yes. Oh yeah, what I have. Finally, it's not a, it's not a disease.
1: I, it's a disease. I have a disease. No, no. it's called malaproposism. <laughs> <laughs> it's called melengenitis. <laughs> I I got VD. It sucks. <laughs> it won't go away. Malappropriism malpropism malpropism How, How does it? <laughs> mal-prop-ism. Mal. Malapropism. Malapropism.
0: Do Intro. Lasers and cats. Cats and lasers. Cats and lasers. Malapropism. Um. Can you fill my wine up? <laughs> malappropriism okay, malappropriism just, it's 9 40 at 10 o'clock I'm, snow I'm gonna starting. okay okay snow starting okay gotta so be my car no 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 um okay so the a, are, I'm the next today. part of this story that I'm gonna tell you about I'm so sorry for like segwaying all over the no, segwaying all over the <laughs>
1: segwaying it's all over the segwaying everywhere oh my god this is this
0: is in, this is gonna be interesting to listen back to this um <laughs> so delirious from lack of sleep the the next part of the so the whole story, uh, I actually watched this YouTube channel called Thug Notes, which I highly recommend Thug it. Thug notes. Thug notes, it's a great series. It's basically Cole's notes for millenialism. The millennials trying to trying to relate to them. Yo, yeah, I don't. I'm, I apologize for that, but it is. It's a. It's a. It's a series where the sky kind of really gets down to the nitty gritty of these different stories, and he does this a Casca Montialdo. Yeah, I said it right. Okay, he didn't make noise. So, Fortunato is ironic because it actually means the lucky one, and he's not so lucky. So, our our character who uh, we meet is called Montessor. He he Did sort you of start the
1: Montessori schools. <laughs>
0: no, Monsor, Monsor, oh. Monsor. Monsieur? That, monsieur, well, okay, let's Monsieur, 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 um, monsieur goes to Fortunato and says, "Oh, by the by, uh, I have this cask of a Monteardo, and uh, you know, you you may or may not like it." And Fortunato goes like, "Wait, well hold hold the phone, hold the phone right here. Oh. <laughs> you you, I'm sorry, did you say that you have a cask of a Monteardo? well yes i do have this cask of this delicious sherry wine but you, no, you're too busy at this carnival you can't come and drink it with me i'll just go to this other guy named uh let's just call him lu oh Lucchesi, Lucchesi. So he says, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're busy with all these beautiful women at this carnival. You're looking like a jester. I've got this cask of something. What did Bowie do? Oh my God, he slobbered all over the couch. And he goes, I'm just going to go to Lucesto, who, Luchesto. you know, this guy knows his shit. He knows his wines, but he's a s- connoisseur not a
1: sommelier what is it
0: called when you uh
1: <laughs> sommelier okay a
0: sommelier okay see i didn't know it, but i was thinking of another word that... but no that, that perfect perfect word to use for this so um uh, our, our monsieur goes oh don't worry you're uh fortunato you seem to be very busy I'll just go get Lucesto. Luchesti? Luchesti? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. We should Luch- have just given them alternative names. We should. Luci, We'll call him Luci. Luci, Luci. He's yep. like, luci has got, is a connoisseur of wine. He's a Somali. Hey, I'm hey, just going to hey, go yeah. to this guy and we're going to drink it. No, and he's I,
1: doing it. Hey, yeah.
0: because he goes, well, I bought it at such a reasonable price, but I'm not 100% sure if this is a Montialdo. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me test if it's a Montialdo. And he's like, no, 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 you're too busy to test the Monte-Alo. Um, And Did then... Anybody test the Montiallo? A Monte-Alo. So he goes... So right now, Fortunato's sort of connoisseuring of wine is being in question. He's being challenged. This is a very... I, I want you to pin this part. So, <laughs> Monsieur... It's pinned. It's pinned. Good. So, a Monte-Alo, er no, no, not a Monte-Alo. Monsieur? <coughs> Oh shit i'm making gonna of this <laughs> <laughs> Luci, is the side guy that Fortunato's is being compared to in terms of his like taste of wine can he or can he not tell the difference between sherry and a montialdo because sherry is actually montialdo it's a, like a fortified sherry wine Yep. Yeah. okay so then so Fortunato's that? like wait uh-uh no 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 monsieur you you can't go to that dude you need i'm your friend i'm the guy that you need to go to okay then if you're my guy then you need to come with me to go get it what says monsieur story. right yeah. so the two of them leave the carnival and they're shooting the shit they go to a crypt come on come no, on dude real. you it's should fucking know so they go into monsieur's family crypt and he states, like, oh, I sent all my servants and all my workers away because I knew that this was going to happen, essentially. So I kind of, so I did some research on criminal profiling. I wanted to understand who Monsier was as a criminal in, like, the research that Robert Ressler had done and other criminal profilers had done from the FBI and the BSU, the Behavioral Science Unit. So I compared the story to that of what a criminal profile looks like looks for in a serial killer or a killer. Okay, so planning—we've got planning here clearly. As Monsieur knows that his friend Fortunato has an affliction with a sherry wine, he knows he must have known because he's immediately hooked and was like, "Wait, what? You you have." What? The bee's knees of all sherry wine? Uh, yep, yeah, I'm interested. But he's hanging out with like a bunch of sexy ladies. So he denies the invitation. So Monsieur is like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to question his intelligence when it comes to his passion. So he does. He goes, I'm going to go to this Lucci guy instead of going to you to test this wine to make sure that it actually is the wine that I said it is. Because... In the story, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm going all and over the place. Can Paul wrote a thing about this? It's, it's, it's a fucking great story. Is it? It is. Hold okay. on, hold on, hold the I'm fucking phone. Okay. I'm okay? Like, okay. So, this is where we look at organized killers. They are planned. This, up until the point where Monsieur Yeah. and uh, Fortunato, Fortunato go into, go into his crypt, crypt. Yeah. it's all planned. That's impressive. We want, you know i'm getting the bonus right so we're looking and this is why i think he is such an important part of our history in terms of true crime because of this sh- this is a short story this is only like <laughs> three pages in this fucking book and he <laughs> he's like giving us the bee's knees of all true crime stories that i want to hear about okay? okay so they go into the crypt he knows that he's going to take this guy into the crypt. Now, let me make a note by saying that Fortunato currently has this really bad cough. He's like, oh, <laughs> yes, my friend. I don't know. Maybe I should test this one. <laughs> no, but if I got to stay here with these sexy ladies, but if you're going to go to this Luchi <laughs> guy, then I don't know if I can trust you as my friend. Okay, sure. Let me be the tester of this cask and we'll be friends. So he's got this cough that he's trying to talk to him. They go into this crypt and there's nitrate in it. And I... Wanted to look up why nitrate was such a big part of the story, and I don't. I think it's because nitrate is a mineral that causes you to be like really sick. I'm mean, going to assume, okay. What yes, it is? So, crypts back in those days, they were just basically shoveled out holes with bodies in them, and so they're going through this crypt. Uh, Monsieur states that all of his all of his servants and stuff in his house were gone. They go into this crypt and they go further and further, and and Fortunato like dude, what the fuck is going on here? Where the hell are you taking me? So, Monsieur is like, you know what, buddy? Have some more wine. So, he starts feeding him more wine and more wine. So, one of the things to note here is the motive behind this entire story. The motive, we don't know. Because the beginning of the story, you just hear Monsieur talk about how he's been wronged by this person. There is a stain on his life, yada, yada, yada. The motive is because of his family. So, during their entrance into the crypt, and as they're going to go get this cask, um, Fortunata goes, so what does your family crest, crest actually mean? Where uh, Monsieur replies, a human foot door in a field of azure. The foot crushes a serpent whose fangs are embedded into heels. And, the, and, and so, Fortunata goes, the motto? Nemo ma impuna la casset." Which means bought some no one attack, oh, sorry, <laughs> means no one attacks me with impunity in this thug note, they talk about the discussion of monsieur Monsieur's motive being that this fortunato did something against his family name and these people are basically like you fuck with us we're going to just crush you. I don't care if you have your fangs into our foot, we're still going to crush you. So could that have been the motive? We look at that when we when we are criminal profiling serial killers and killers. We're looking for motive. Is it sexually you know, it, it, is it sexually driven? Is it um, driven by um, a mental th- a mental illness that happened during childhood? No, for this one, it's family honor. It is totally 100% family honor. And that is an acceptable uh, motive when we're criminal profiling. It yeah. happens. It's rare. It is so rare, but it happens. So they're going down the script and... Monsieur questioned his friend's ability and his taste of wine. And so he turns it around and then questions his friend and goes, Sir, your family, are you actually a mason? And I'm assuming there is a tie to his family crest being this motto as as his family being masonries. And that was a huge deal back then. Like if you were a mason, you're a hotshot. And and, uh, Monsieur is like, uh, I'm so sorry. Give me one second here. So then he opens his coat and was like, Yeah, buddy, uh you wanna question me about my family being masonry? He produces a travel from oh. his coat and he's like, Yeah, go fuck yourself. Okay? Uh my family are masonry. And he puts it back into his coat. So just on the verge of getting to the end of this crypt. And this is a huge fucking crypt. It is big. It's, a, it's very long. Like There's a lot of interaction between then and, and, okay. and getting to the end of this, where he also feeds him more wine and gets him more drunk. So, let me set the scene for you. The, it's the end of the road. There's a big boulder in the middle of this dead-end room. And on this boulder are two iron, quote-unquote, staples. I'm sure you can picture what those staples are and our our protagonist or antagonist however you want to see it goes up to our friend fortunato and starts to cuff him or chain him into these two iron staples which are basically just iron wrought iron shackles yeah okay and and his friend fortunato is like i'm sorry um can you tell me what you're doing right now i don't I don't understand. He's he's totally bemused by it all. He doesn't he's doesn't understand. So he just stands there, bewildered. And Monsieur steps back and just leaves his friend there. And his friend's like, "Hey yo, uh, um, where is this this amontillado? You told- promised me. Oh, just look behind, behind. Just look behind the rock." I'm sorry. He's chained to a rock and he's uh-huh. still asking for the wine. Yep. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. This is okay. So he get the wine. He starts drinking it. And our lovely friend starts to lay bricks. No. Mm -hmm. Row by row. And they're having a conversation while this is happening. Okay. And he just continues to lay these bricks down and lay these bricks down. And Fortunata's like, my friend, why aren't you coming to join me? What's going on here? What what, What are you doing? What the fuck are you doing right now? Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about me. Don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. And just keeps laying them. And laying them. And, and as you're reading the story, uh, Monsieur is like, he's not even realizing, he's not even clinging into what I'm doing, but this gives me so much pleasure in knowing that I'm about to basically shut him in to this hole in the wall. So he's putting the eighth and the ninth layer, and his friend goes, This is a funny joke now. Can you please get me out? Thinking that. This is a joke and he's starting to sober up, slowly starting to sober up. And he's realizing this is not a joke anymore. He did something so bad to Monsoor's family name that he just, he tricked him into going into this crypt, uh, chaining him to this boulder, putting laying bricks to, to close him into this area alive. And the end bit is the most eerie part of this entire short story where monsoor thinks that the job is done and he slowly starts to walk away now i had mentioned that fortunato is wearing a jester's outfit and with this jester's outfit comes the hat with has jingles on jingles on it remember what your first story was about what was your first story about in this pod in this episode it was about oh the, oh, the bells. bells okay as as Monsieur it. is walking away, you hear nothing. there's dead silence like the nitrate is in that room, so probably causing him to be uh, fortunate to be weak and as Monsieur is about to end his tale, he says, the last thing that I hear was the jingle of my friend's bells as I walked away. He was still alive, and he totally buried buried him alive in this crypt over some family squabble and he walks away and it is it is a great story to read because as you're reading it you're not you are cluing into what you're kind of cluing in but the eeriness of the way that he describes them going into the crypt and the scenes around it and the lead up to him going into this room and being chained to the boulder and being totally oblivious to what's happening. But the monster is totally controlling the entire fucking thing is so brilliant that we literally have a killer here who's, who is a, a, is an organ. He's a Ted Bundy. He is a Ted Bundy. And, and who knows? Who knows if this antagonist or protagonist would continue on if if his family name was scorned but tyler told me about this story and how the the idea of murder was written into it and and such a important key thing to edgar Allan poe's writing and i'm reading this going like holy shit i need to profile this so we're looking at this this monsoor as one He's very organized and calculated. He's so cunning. His murder is so artful in the way that he does it. He leads, he knows he leads them down this crypt, ties him to this boulder, shuts him in. After he's been questioned about his his masonry, here he is showing his friend like, go fuck yourself, buddy. You want to question me about my masonry? You're an idiot. I question you about your taste in wine. You followed me like a tiny little rabbit to my trap here you go and he layers brick and he he states it in the story I layer the first I layer the second I layer the third and you build and you build so there's this very cunning, and and as I talked about in my Robert Ressler story, the cunning and planning are two key things that you look for in an organized killer, yeah. and and it's like Edgar Allan Poe was already so well aware of what criminal profiling was, because mm-hmm. he created this character. He did. So, do we take from this man's macabre writing and being the master of death? as a, as a inspiration for these things? Like, do we, is, is he a key in sort of the mindset of some of our, like not saying that, you know, like our serial killer study. Exactly. Like, I'm not saying that, but are we, are we seeing a foreshadowing almost of, of our, our real life murderers? The father of modern horror and true crime is right here we see these fucking characters all the time we hear about them ted bundy ed gein uh peter uh peter tool like or not peter tool i'm sorry um Odess tool like these characters are real life versions of Edgar ground Poe's poems and short stories the characters that are in them mm-hmm. it's fucked up so so the cask of Amontillado, <laughs> is just one of several stories that themes play on true crime. Uh, the Fall of the House of Usher uh, was another one. And the Telltale Heart. The Telltale Heart is another one that I I really want to try to read before I absolutely have to return this book back to the <laughs> uh, library before it I'm gonna have like a $20 fee and I don't, I know. F- I don't care I don't care this and uh, a history of murder with Agatha Christie is on my shelf right now I really want to do another story about Agatha Christie but actually do it properly where I finish writing my story instead of half-ass writing it my brain was mush this week I apologize Mercury was in retrograde and the moon was full blah 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 but <laughs> Um, I highly encourage you to check out the life and time of Edgar Allan Poe because I do his. Is that a book? No. Oh, you just in general, like look it up. Yeah, the, oh, okay. yeah. Look up, look up the life and time of Edgar Allan Poe and what he's all about. And you know, he he truly is the man who brings melancholy and and pain to writing. He he is world renowned for his short stories and mm-hmm. and like. The, the cask of Amontillado in just the few pages is chilling. It was. I read it, like reading, rereading it last night. I, could, I, I was just floored at how simple. It was so simple. So simple. How you present your protagonist, your antagonist, your motive, <laughs> your climax in four pages. That's yeah. it. You should get the tattoo to, it, tattoo to your back. What? Of the story, the whole thing, the four pages. I should just get four pages. Ah, on my back. yes, <laughs> four pages of a Castle Casca Montealdo, Monte- Montealdo, <laughs> Monte-, Monte Cristo. Uh, Monte. Oh, see, I, I thought the the Count of Count Romney of... Christi. I love that. And that was a good movie. Fucking book and movie. I didn't read the book. I always get those but two mixed up. Got the movie. It is so good. It, and that whole scene where he he fakes his death and puts himself and then yeah. John Hurt's body and the... Uh, so good. Yeah. So good. Anyways, the point is, is a lot of these true crime stories we, we, we read. <laughs> this is
1: the longest point I think we've ever done. Ever. I think it's taken 45 minutes. I'm just going to drink more wine. And just, just drink more wine. Okay, it's a good Okay, here point. we go. No, no I think we gonna, got it.
0: Okay, that's good. Here we go. I think go. we got
1: it. You know what I watched last night? My parents were in town and um, there was a great story, Jenna. This is... Sorry. Not really part of... The, well, whatever. It was a great story. There's a movie called... <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you have if you have criticisms let me know
1: no no no. sorry i was gonna say what i was gonna say thank be you honest, for saying that be honest. because i was gonna say this is kind of brings me into this movie is what i'm thinking but then i'm like no let's end it and then i'll start my new thought because it's not really but kind of whatever i'll just tell my thought it's called the call it's with <laughs> oh, Halle berry did you oh, see it Oh, i've heard of this it is first of all I fucking hate movies like this because it stresses me out the entire time. And that's not why I watch movies. I think I like, I, 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 I beat Dexter up because I couldn't handle it. So I like, I was holding onto his arm and i was shaking it really? and stressing out and whatever. Cause it's, it's, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. Is it? Yeah. Uh, it really is. It's not like Gothica. Halle Berry. I don't know what that is, but it's Halle another Berry's movie she's in. Fantastic. And, um, it's, sad
0: and horrible and beautiful and not beautiful well well it's beautiful in the way that it's presented yes i mean the story it's okay let's be honest some things are not beautiful but some things are beautiful in the way that they're presented and the stories that maybe are told by them and it's just
1: super stressful and i don't like thrillers in that sense because Mm -hmm. of that i'm like i don't want to do that i'm just like so stressed out the whole time and can i tell you the end of the movie sure
0: Yes. Okay. I'm if you say- want... If you don't want to know the ending of The Calling, please skip forward five minutes for now.
1: It's like... So, essentially, he kidnaps this teenage girl, and they are trying to hunt her down, and she's got the 911 caller on the line, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he has this secret, like, underground bunkie. you will say, that it's like a room nobody knows it's there, and he redresses it like... By the way, watching it was brilliant, because... um A lot of the times when like he started, he killed one blonde teenage and he killed another blonde teenage girl. And I said, she's too young to be his mother. It must be either first girlfriend or sister. Then they go to his house and he has like a little like him and his sister when they were young I'm like his sister fucking died I said because if you're a serial killer and you're obsessed with wands it's because yes. something traumatic happened to a female yes. a... so it was kind of fun kind of doing my fake profiling for <sighs> a fictional movie isn't it crazy like, when you do that all the time now like it's and they're it... like my parents are like how did you know I'm like because this is typical serial yeah. killer word anyway 100% so Anyway, so he gets this girl at the bottom, and he wants her to be his sister, and he gives a haircut. It's all fucked up, okay? But, and then Halle Berry comes and ends up, it's, that part's kind of ridiculous, and comes down there, and whatever, and eventually they they fight him off, and whatever, a lot of shit happens, very stressful, <laughs> but they push him back, they crawl back up the fucking bunker thingy and push him down, and he's, like, all fucking laying on the ground, and he's not dead, and then she's like, Halle Berry takes out her phone to call, to call 911, and then the blonde girl goes, Wait. And they're like, what the fuck happened? And it cuts this scene back inside the bunker, in the chair where she was originally strapped down. He is now strapped down and chained. And he's like, What the fuck, what the fuck? And she's like, he's like, Oh, well, come on, you can't le- let me locked up in here. You have to call the police because you know, whatever, you have to call the police. And then Halle Berry goes like, Well, no, I just found I think her name was Caitlin or whatever, the blonde girl. I just found Caitlin In the woods, wandering around, she got she escaped, and he's like, "What?" And then they back up, and then they close the door where he's chained, and then crawl down the the little hallway, and then up, like they leave him there. So it's kind of like how this guy left, like um the Fortunato the Fortunato and sealed them in this time it's like fuck you you did this to people before you're never going to do this to anybody again and you're going to get a taste of your own medicine oh my because- god that's so cool it. so and then because nobody knows that this bunker's there and it ends with them closing the door I'm all like I want to see more yeah I want to see them like I figured what they could have done is like did like two months later or even a year and a half later because Halle Berry dates a cop Ooh. And have the cop finally find and walk in, and then like he'd be like looking at the body who's all like dead and like beef jerky like or whatever, <laughs> and and then just kind of like think like hmm, you know like I bet you my girlfriend and the blonde girl did this and like kind just of keep sm- it smirk yeah and not saying I feel like I needed that but it just ends with them closing the
0: door but in this I chamber. love how you have. In your own mind, created the end story of it.
1: Yeah, and And I think that that's why they ended it like that. So you can kind of, yeah,
0: because
1: it upsets me. You can't just end the movie like
0: that, and then the credits go up. It's very upsetting to me. Is it? Yes, for me. Or is it? Is it suspenseful where it's now making you think of the movie even more after it's over with? No, I'm upset. Okay, well you're <laughs> hey, remember, bad press is good press, so I'm upset. It's okay. I'm I'm not, I so hate watching sorry. thrillers.
1: It was very stressful. It's a great movie. Good. But it's very I don't like watching thrillers because of that. Like it's so stressful for me. You don't like watching thriller? Thriller!
0: <laughs> thriller! This was an interesting episode. We really... You did. You did change the podcast. Thank you very much. Which helped me segue into a very different... Which made you change the podcast. A little bit.
1: Welcome to the art of a
0: new kind of murder. I think... I think talking about these different stories, they are very artful and it is storytelling. We are storytellers. We are the storytellers when art meets murder. That's our whole thing. That's right. And I... You know, when we... I really would love to do an episode on Agatha Christie because she is one of my favorite crime writers. She does write crime and, and true crime and it's such a wonderful fucking way. Like Murder on the Orient Express is one of my favorite books ever. It is so cool how you go from point A to point B to point C to point D to get to, you know, Z. Yeah. And... I will never write a true crime novel in my life. Maybe I will. You don't know. Maybe I will. Who knows? But the idea of how to write a true crime novel is so, it's brilliant because I'm sure that we take from real life what we know of serial killers and killers and mur- murders and, and events and put them into those stories, those fiction stories. So I guess that's why I kind of wanted to touch on the topic because, you know, storytelling in this true crime fashion is part of murder is part of this world that we're in we are the painters of that of the of the canvas of murder does that make sense oh <laughs> yeah, my god sense. i'm gonna go have some more wine you know what this could be a two-parter who knows it might be because this is now four three hours. hours and 30 minutes yeah i think we should i think on that drunken note we should this was lovely it was it was a great story you need to drive home safely thank you i love you i love you and with that ambient ambient toast. toast (laughs) Oh. So-
1: <laughs> That's why I was just drinking tea.
0: Yeah, don't drink like Jenna. Don't be an alcoholic. Oh.